right, welcome back to another episode of the Fast Break Live NBA podcast. Your boy Samuel here. I got my boy Nick Andre with me here today. Nick Andre, say what's up to the people. What's going on, y'all, man? Happy to be back on the show, man. It was all, it's always good being able to talk with you, Sam, so happy to be back. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I know last time um, I had you on the show, we kind of, we spoke, it was very early in the season, and we spoke about um, the Christmas Day games and, like, whatever games mm-hmm. that came before, and it was, like, really early on, so there wasn't much to really take away from the season. But now here we are about, like, 30-plus games in, heading into All-Star break. Definitely a lot more to talk about. So, um, right. what have you? What have been your early impressions on the season so far? Um, the one thing that I've uh, seemed to see is like you know, there's a lot of teams that we didn't expect like to really be like in conversation. Like they're really starting to thrive. Like you know, the Utah Jazz. Like I don't think anyone expected them to be a number one seed in the West. They've won like a tremendous amount. I think they won about like 19 of the last like 20, 21 games. So, you know, Donovan Mitchell, with the way that he's leading that team, he should certainly be in MVP conversations. But also, it's like other teams as well, like the Knicks are continuing to thrive. I know we I know we talked a little bit about the Knicks the last time that we were on. Yeah. But for them to be in the playoff racing, me, it's just so incredible. Um, Coach Tips has really brought a new presence into the uh, into this um, organization. Also, the murders of Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, uh, Manuel Quickly. You know, all these young guys really are starting to come together and really make a push throughout the season. And, and, you know, that, that's, that's kind of like my big takeaway, you know, obviously we expect the guys like the Lakers, the Clippers and other teams are like really, you know, continue to thrive as a team and continue to like push for um, a championship. But for these young teams to really come together and make a push is really impressive. Yeah, definitely for me, the jazz are one thing that have stuck out to me. I kind of actually wrote off the jazz to begin the season because I was like, uh, it's going to be another regular old Utah jazz season. They'll come out struggling and then they'll hit like their winning streak and then they'll be like, like a third seed or whatever throughout the rest of the year. So I kind of like already wrote them off and I didn't really consider them to be something serious, but like the way they shoot the ball, the way they defend, it's just like crazy to see. And I, I've made the joke on Twitter a couple of times of like calling them the 2015 Atlanta Hawks. And I, and a lot of people take offense to that. I, I don't see why people take offense to that because it's like, um, that team was really good, but I guess like the way they fell short, I guess a lot of people think, think that Utah has a higher ceiling. I, I don't know how you feel about Utah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see your point of view from like, you know, comparing to that 2015 Hawks team, even though I think they're slightly different just because Atlanta didn't have like a star that was able to play like Donovan Mitchell. So I think that's also makes them a little bit different, but yeah, that Atlanta team was just like that Atlanta team did definitely come out of nowhere led by Al Horford, Jeff T. I want to say Paul Mills that was on the team, Kyle Korver and Damari Carroll. So I think, I think it is kind of like a similar when you, when you like look at it just because no one expected that team that particular team to really come out and um, really play that play that play like the way that they did, and for Utah and for Utah to be doing the same thing is like really impressive. So, like I said, I mean it's it's still a lot more to play in in the regular season, and also the playoffs are going to roll around. So the question is for Utah is like how they continue to get better and how they continue to keep momentum rolling as the season ends and into the playoffs because it's going to be difficult when the game slows down. And, you know, you're going to have to play teams like the Nuggets again or the Clippers or the Lakers. So to be playing against those type of contending teams with a lot of experience is going to be very difficult. So we'll definitely see how Utah comes together once the, uh, once the playoffs roll around. Yeah, that's my main concern with Utah this year because, like, they've been really good in the regular season. But, like, when they face certain opponents like the Clippers or, like, when they played against – um yeah, when they played the Clippers the other day, I, I like one thing that stuck out to me was like they're missing like that 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 dynamic wing player, mm-hmm. um, and like Bogdanovich is is good. Clarkson's been great for them off the bench, pretty much locked up six man of the year. But like, is Donovan Mitchell and then who else as a year cons- like a, another dynamic? Um, scorer out there. So that's my only concern of Utah. I know like. I expect them to at least make it to a point where they can face a Clippers or a Lakers team, but I do think they would end up falling to one of those two teams because they just don't have that firepower to um, 
or that wing to necessarily match up with like a LeBron or a Kawhi or a PG. So that's my main concern with Utah. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when you think about like the other teams that have like two dynamic players that can be able to get their own. Like Utah has shown, like, you know, when everything's clicking on the offensive end, like when they're shooting at a higher percentage, they can easily beat you, particularly on their home floor. So it's going to be up to Mitchell to be able to trust his teammates, even as he doesn't have like a second star next to him. Will he trust, will he continue to trust the Jordan Clarkson or Bogdanovich to really come in and like kind of carry a load to take pressure off of him, you know, as, as the season progresses. So that's going to be the, that's going to be the test for Utah going forward. So uh, Quinn Snyder has seen to really figure things out, kind of like, kind of, you know, kind of get these guys in a good rhythm. So it's going to be interesting to see like how he continues that. Yeah, for sure. One thing I did want to mention um, before we get into our other topics, I know I know you saw the tweet the other day. Of course, we all saw the dunk of the mm-hmm. year, possibly with Anthony Edwards just obliterating Utah Wantanabe from the um, Raptors. You know, everybody was vibing on Twitter. Everybody was like, yo, that's a crazy dunk. Like Anthony Edwards violated or whatever. And then you got the stat sheet nerds like Nate yeah. Duncan come in here to ruin the fun and everybody piled on him real quick. Like they packed him up real quick. Um, oh yeah. How, how do you, how do you feel about like NBA media? Just like not being able to enjoy the moment or like, just like always finding something negative to stay because like, this is not the first time NBA media or like any of these like blue checks on Twitter have like done this stuff. Like guys that cover the league, they're constantly always having something negative to say about, anything like like people could just be enjoying a highlight just like the anthony edwards thing and then these guys come in and and kind of just ruin it and how how do you feel about nba media just being negative in general and not like enjoying the sport that they cover um this like this nate duncan situation is also like just another reason why i have like kind of an issue with analytics it's not that i hate analytics but I feel like with a lot of guys that cover the league, I think they look too much into the numbers to really determine a player. And they're not really watching the game. I mean, we obviously know that Anthony Edwards doesn't shoot the ball particular, particularly well. But the thing is, like, you know, when he has a ferocious dunk like that and he builds his team momentum, like you can't just like come around saying, oh, he's he only has like seven, eight points and he's shooting like three for ten. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the game still goes on. Like, you know, we can't really worry about what happened in the last possession or what happened in the last quarter? Like, you know, when, like, I want to say that that dunk was like probably like what the end of like towards the end of the third quarter. So you still have a whole quarter to go. So that dunk is a game changer for a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves, even though, even though they did lose the game, that game, that, that particular dunk seemed to have give, gave them momentum. So you have to think about it from those perspectives. Like, you know, it doesn't matter like what happened, like, you know, the last few plays is all about, you know, how you continue to move forward. So that's, that's also a reason why I had a problem with the whole Nate Duncan situation, just looking too much into the numbers of other situations rather than actually like, really watching the game. Yeah. He actually blocked me too, because I, I, I kept like quote, quote tweeting him and stuff. And I was just like, like no one cares. Cause like he just kept trying to tweet after the <laughs> fact of it. So he ended up, he ended up blocking right. me, whatever. I don't care. One less loser That's on my funny. timeline. Like, I think, right. I think I, I think I posted like a meme under the um under the whole um Anthony Edwards tweet, but that was about it. So he probably didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he's a loser. He's always Definitely. he's oh he's always tweeting negative stuff. Like when RJ Barrett was struggling early in the season, he tweeted about it. I haven't seen him tweet about RJ since. Like that's just his thing. That's I mean I mean and this crazy thing is like it's not just him it's a lot of other guys too which is just insane. Yeah. Um. So let's get into um some teams that have been like kind of shaky and then we'll talk about like some other teams because we kind of talked about a team that's doing well. Um, your Golden State Warriors, my guy Steph, he actually missed the 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 game the other night, like. It's like right before tip off, he was like a late scratch. Um, yeah. They lost that game to the Hornets on some mental mistakes by just like the Warriors and like Draymond Green. So to end, first of all, Terry Rozier is already going ballistic in that quarter. He finished the, mm-hmm. he finished that quarter at like twenty. He finished 
he finished the game scoring 20 in that quarter alone. I think it was. Um, and then like there was a tie up at the end of the game where Steve called Steve Kerr could have called a timeout or whatever, but he just, he, he didn't, he didn't, it didn't look like he was really trying to call the timeout all that aggressively or like try to get the ref's attention for it. Um, they, they have the, they have the loose ball. They have the tie up. Um, there's a tip. There's a, um, there's a jump ball. And then Charlotte Hornets to get possession, they call timeout, but it looks like it's a tie up between Draymond and I think Gordon Hayward, but they give the Hornets a timeout. Draymond starts going crazy starts cursing at, I think it was the, his opponent first and then the refs, and then they just got him out of there. So how, how do you feel about that situation before we get into the, the Warriors as a whole? Um, that, that particular situation, I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch it live, but I ended up watching it, like, kind of going back because I, I, I was trying to, like, kind of go in between, like, you know, the um, the Lakers heat, and then I was trying to also get into the mix of the um, Suns and Grizzlies. But that particular incident, I pers- I know, I mean, we know how Draymond is. Draymond is, you know, a fiery guy. You know, he's gonna he's gonna bark, he's gonna scrap and all that nature. But I think I think sometimes the refs just try to get much into Draymond's um whole situation and they just kind of throw him out for no reason. Even though I did I did see um what Steve Kerr said. I think Steve Kerr said something like Draymond went kind of overboard with it or he was out of line. But I just think, you know, in that in that particular situation, like that that's the heat of the game. Those are the final seconds. So everybody's intensity level goes up at another notch, especially particularly Draymond Green, who's been in the league for nine years now. So, you know, I mean, emotions are going to flare, like, you know, and reps have to understand that from that perspective. So as far as that Draymond Green situation, I just think that from my perspective, I just don't think he should have been ejected. But, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I don't agree on the call either, but it's like Draymond has to know at this point, like, bro, the refs, like, you know, you have a reputation in the league, like, Right. At that point, after the first technical, you just got to chill at that point because you, at because the, the funny thing about that situation, Warriors were up two before Terry Rozier hit the technical free throws. So even if they did, they did get the call wrong, you just go back to your huddle, drop a game plan for defense and get a stop and you win the game because you're already up. Instead, you give them two free points and then you give them an opportunity to um to win the game, which they did. Terry Rozier hit the buzzer beater. He's been having a killer season this year. The efficiency has gone up. I do want to get into the the Hornets a little bit later when we talk about, like, LaMelo and rookies. But, um, yeah, um, going back to the Warriors, I mean, this season has been very inconsistent, very up and down. They have dealt with injuries. Most of their big men rotation is basically cooked. You got Wiseman out. You got Looney out. Chris was out since like the beginning of the year with a broken leg. You have Draymond playing a lot of five minutes. And it's just the Warriors haven't been able to like string string together like a consistent stretch of games where you're like, okay, this is the Warriors team that we're going to get for the rest of the year. Like one night it looks awful. The next night it looks pretty good. Um, Steph has been the main constant. Um, a lot of people get on Draymond because his offense is not what it used to be, which is very weird because it's not like he was someone that relied on athleticism for his scoring. So right. the scoring drop off was very weird from him. But what do you think has been the main factor to their inconsistency in this season? Well, obviously, number one is because I think when you lose Looney and Wiseman, two guys who can at least protect the basket, that's a big that's a big loss. And, you know, just having. Like I want to say, we don't. I want to say in our lineup, we don't have a guy that's taller than like six eight, six nine. So that's definitely an issue when you're going up against like bigger teams. And then also, it's like I think it's the mix of like you know Steph. Like you know, we understand that Steph's having a particular season, but it's really like you know he really has to because there's not really a consistent second score. Like I know a lot of guys are expecting Wiggins to be that guy. Ubre Ubre is slowly coming into his own, but Ubre hasn't really been there yet. He's still very consistent from from the perimeter. But he does, he does, he does, he does provide, he does provide a lot of hustle. So I will give him that. Wiggins is that one guy for me that I possibly want to expect to be that second lead scorer. At least, at least when Steph is on the bench, and you have a lineup, you have Andrew Wiggins, and he's like you know your number one option. I do want him to try to be a little bit more aggressive, at least like you know around like early second quarter or whenever like Steph is like out of the game. But yeah, I, I just think like those are like the two issues. I think it's you know injuries you know, 
and then, you know, not having a second guy next to Steph to be able to uh, carry the load offensively. And then also, I think that, you know, the communication on the floor is, is a little bit of an issue, but I think it also has something to do with everyone still trying to get used to one another, even though we are two months into the regular season. So it, it is, it is definitely been a struggle for the Warriors throughout the season. But I mean, just looking at it from my perspective, I'm not, I, I didn't really expect too much of the Warriors, especially since Clay we knew that Clay was going to be gone throughout the season. So I didn't really expect too much. Now I did expect them to make the playoffs and I still do. So I think going into the second half of this season, they're going to have to definitely make some adjustments and hopefully, hopefully stay healthy to at least make a run to at least get an eight seed. Yeah. One thing that um, I noticed that the Warriors struggled with was um, also depth because like, Mm-hmm. They don't really have a solid backup point guard following Steph after he like sits or, for whatever. Like Brad Watermaker was okay, I guess, in Boston, but like this year in Golden State, he has just not been it. I have a, I've seen a lot of Warriors Twitter. They they've just been ragging on him all year, and he just hasn't been a consistent contributor. And I feel like the front office just like was kind of like complacent with with how they optimize their their options this offseason. Because, I mean, you have Steph basically replicating his unanimous season, but they're like struggling to get an eighth seed. I feel like they should at least be within the mix for like the four to six seed. And mm-hmm. like they've just the, the lack of depth is really killing them as as, as well as well as um, Draymond's offensive non-production i would like to say because like we already know like what he brings to the table in in terms of like playmaking and like his defense is unmatched at this point like there's no question about it but like he's got to give you at least like 10 points per game on offense like he just can't be having these games where it's just like two points five points or whatever it is like i feel like he has to also step up his offensive production i don't know what it is in him that he doesn't score at least like similar to how he was in 2016. But yeah, he, he needs to step it up as well. I think. I think, I think with Draymond, I think he's still trying to like become accustomed to, you know, not to like see like how it was like, or how it, how it is it now. Like, you know, as KD and Claire not here anymore, because I think here's the thing when you have three prolific scores of Steph Clay, and KD is like, you know, Draymond didn't really have to have any offense. All he had to do was really provide a lot of defensive presence and also just be a floor general and um, take the pressure off of those three guys. So I think now as the Warriors don't have a lot of depth and they don't really have a um, a second scoring option right alongside Steph Curry, I think that I think that he definitely has to try to at least become more aggressive. I mean, Draymond, Draymond can be an offensive threat when he wants to be. I mean, if people don't remember, I, I want to say it was, it was a game in 2014, 2015 against Chicago. He scored 31 points. And I think he knocked down like seven, eight, three-pointers. So Draymond has the ability to score the ball, but I think that, you know, he just, he just you know, doesn't want to just because I, th- I think that, you know, he wants to like kind of impact the game from, from other areas. But if the Warriors do want to make a push for a playoff spot, I think that everyone's just going to have to really step up and become more aggressive offensively. Yeah, for sure. And I would I'd be interested to see what they do in terms of roster moves with the trade deadline. Um, I know they think I think they still have their disabled player exception that they haven't used yet. So that's going to be interesting to see if what they use that on. Um, but if they improved like their their backup point guard spot, as well as like um just like certain guys stepping up a bit more and being more consistent like you got Uber Pascal um if Wanamaker decides to be more impactful then I feel like they can be like a solid five to six seed seven seed but like if not they'll they'll be a play-in team at the very least I think Right. That's also another guy who I believe that should step up more offensively too is Eric Pascal. I mean, we saw his emergence last year with all the injuries and with, you know, more opportunities for him. So I think that, you know, his, his energy off the bench should be at least better than what it is. I'm not, I'm not saying he's playing bad, but I do think that he needs to provide a little bit more effort as far as scoring wise. For sure. Um, Another team that has been, this team has like, I'm not even a fan of this team, but I could imagine if I was a fan of this team, I would be 
completely pissed. Um, the Bucks. The, the Bucks, way, yeah. uh, like, yeah, they just they had like a five game. I want to say five game losing streak they were on, but they snapped it against the um, the, the Thunder the other day. But they have just been. They've been mid to say the least, I guess you can say, because over their last 42 regular season games, they are 20 and 22. So they're below 500 in their last 42 regular season games. Um, I've never I haven't been a fan of Bud for the last couple of years because I just realized that he is the type of coach that isn't going to make adjustments um, I don't like the way the team utilizes Giannis. I don't like the way Giannis plays, particularly in in the case of him taking so many above the break pull ups. Like, just, definitely, just get down, post up. Like, come on, man. Like, you're you're dominant down low. You need to get some moves down there and just like become a force that no one could stop in the half court. Because I feel like it is somewhat you're you're somewhat able to stop him, but like at the same time. He's still able to get his. And like another thing about them is that they're completely top heavy now. And Brooke, Brooke, Brooke Lopez has become washed at this point. So how do you how do you feel about the Bucks? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, coming into the season, I know a lot of people were um, obviously like, you know, not not too worried about the Bucks, especially as Kevin Durant's coming back with Brooklyn he and Kyrie. And now that they have James Harden, I'm sure nobody's expecting uh, Milwaukee to do make any any runs towards the NBA finals whatsoever. But I think the loss of the loss of Drew Holiday on the on the defensive end is obviously glaring for them. Um especially when you look at that game against Toronto when they were able to get whatever they want. But I do I definitely agree with you about Coach Bud. And I've I've been a guy that's really been defending him over the last few years just because, you know, a lot of guys were talking about, you know, his run with Atlanta in twenty fifteen. And I was trying to tell people I'm like, hey, that Atlanta didn't really have the superstar talent like Giannis. So maybe this would be different. And as we saw, you know, they played Toronto in the conference finals in 2019. Giannis got shut down. The rest of the team couldn't really find their own way as as he was getting punished, you know, um, down the block. And then also in uh, 2020 in the bubble when they played Miami, that same thing also happened. So now it's really about how they really utilize Giannis throughout this season. And it really hasn't really been that impressive to me at all. But and also another guy that, you know, I'm, I'm going to criticize also is Chris Middleton. Um, I've been trying to defend Chris Middleton as well. Everybody's saying that, you know, he's not the best second option. And honestly, I must have to agree because there are many times where Chris Middleton has not been the best second option next to Giannis. He did start out the season very well, particularly in that Christmas game that he played against Golden State. But it's, he's been really inconsistent to me as far as, you know, being one of those guys who can like really carry the low for a team. So I think as crazy as it is, because Giannis just signed that Giannis just signed that extension to um, stay with Milwaukee. So now the test is for them is that, you know, how do they really get a team around around Giannis as far as the front office? Like, do how do they make a lot of changes? So I think I think they should definitely look into into some moves going into the trade deadline and also um, going to the offseason. If if nothing happens, they should definitely look into um, getting some new guys into that roster. Yeah, their roster construction this offseason was not the most ideal. I didn't like it that much because, like, the Drew trade, I felt like, okay, you did it. But, like, I, w- I was also thinking to myself as the Harden trade came along, I was like, man, imagine if they traded, if they kept some of those assets and traded for Harden instead. How different yeah. would that be? That, and, that definitely would have put him over the top. Yeah. Or at least would have put him in like at least would have put him in better contention. For sure. And like they, they would have been top heavy, but like top heavy with like James Harden instead of Drew Holiday is like a huge difference because like James Harden is James Harden. So um and like right now, like they've been missing Drew these last couple of games, and they've looked really like basically like a mediocre team. And um yeah, Chris Middleton, like you said, he hasn't been that good like as of recently, especially. And you would think he would step up his game with um Drew Holiday being out, but but nope. Yeah, he he just really hasn't been a guy, particularly against Toronto. I just saw him like like, you know, just kind of get 
I don't know, man. It's just I don't I don't think he's really that aggressive enough. I don't know if I don't know if his confidence is shooken or or he's just not getting the opportunities. But I think like Chris Middleton is a gift to score, in my opinion. I think that, you know, when things are going right for him, he could be one of one at least one of the good second options for a team, but he just hasn't shown that over these last few years. And I, I've really been trying to defend him and just say, hey, just give him more time. But throughout the season, he just really hasn't shown it. Yeah. Um, and then like like being top heavy and then like Brooke Lopez being washed the way he is, like he looks so emo- immobile out there. And like the threes aren't hitting the same way they did when he first got there. And it's just like it's bad. It definitely is. <laughs> so how do you feel about the the Bucks overall? Do you think like do you think they can like they can contend with like a Nets team or like, nah, like that they can't like maybe they go five or six games with them. I'm gonna say no, but my thing is, although Brooklyn has gotten better defensively over the past few games, like they they still have a little bit of struggles. So I definitely want to see how KD and Giannis do match up in the playoffs when guarding one another. Obviously, when uh, when Giannis is driving to the basket, I don't think KD is able to stop him. And obviously, when KD's on the perimeter, I don't think Giannis is really able to stop him. So I think I think that's gonna be I think that's gonna be an interesting factor. But if Brooklyn has the dynamic of Kyrie, KD, and James Harden all playing their role and playing at a high level, and they're playing and they're playing top-notch defense, I don't think that they get past six games against Brooklyn if everything's going right for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's. I mean, at least Giannis got paid, because yeah, I mean, if, if you're gonna stay in like this situation, at, at least get your bag. Definitely, but yeah, that's that that's gonna be the test now for the um for the Milwaukee front office is like these next few years, like they're gonna have to really shake up this roster and really build a contending team around Giannis because over the past three uh three to four years, it just hasn't worked. Yeah, it, it it just hasn't. And it'd be interesting to see. I don't even want to get into this because like it's it's still too early now about like him asking out, but I don't want to get into that. Yeah. So um the MVP race, I feel like it's like I feel like it's a really not even a tight race, but like there's like we we kind of know the crop of guys that we're looking at. Um, but like right now, um, Joel Embiid has to be, at least for me, he's the front front runner for MVP, just based on the fact that he's just been able to dominate all throughout the regular season. The team's kind of somewhat struggle struggled when he's not in the lineup. Um, and yeah, I mean, he had like a statement game against the Bulls the other day with like fifty points. I think it was like mm-hmm. fifteen rebounds, some blocks, a steal or so. Like he's just. He's just been killing it, and this is the this is the Joel Embiid that we've kind of wanted to see all this time, and we're finally being able to see it. So, how, how do you, how do you feel about the MVP race so far, and like who's your favorite to win it right now? Well, I, th- I think the MVP race is definitely top heavy when you talk about the dynamic of um, Embiid, the way that he's playing, and also Jokic in Denver in the way that he's playing as well. Um, I think I think the slight just has to go to Embiid, even though I personally pick, I mean, at, at least at this particular time, I do have the Joker as far as winning MVP just because of the ridiculous numbers that he's been putting up. But I think if, I think Philly slightly has a better record than Denver. I may be wrong, but I, I'll have to go back and check that. So I think that may put Embiid over the hump against Joker as far as having an MVP season. But I, I definitely agree with you when you talk about, you know, throughout the season. And I think Doc Rivers has really utilized him a little bit more. I like I like the fact that, you know, he's playing more around the post and really getting his opportunities from there. Because I think, like, going back to last season and a few years back, I mean, I, I saw him be just really just settling. And it, it really made me mad. It really made me frustrated because he's so talented. He has such phenomenal footwork as a big man that he can really create his own. Like, if you ask me, I think that Joel Embiid, at least today, is the best scoring big man in the NBA just because with the way that he's able to get his and in the way that he's able to create. And it's not a knock to guys like Nikola Jokic or Carl Anthony Towns or any of these other um, star big men around the NBA, but I think when it comes to Embiid, 
when it comes to like being able to dominate with his um with his strength and his physicality, along with his like guard like skills, I think that he is possibly the best scoring big man in the NBA. So I think I think as far as right now, even though I do personally, even though I do personally pick Jokic as my MVP candidate, I think the slight just just has to go to MB just because of the way that he's playing and the way that Philly has been able to um be able to um be a positive as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like yeah, like you said, Doc has been able to utilize and be better. And I think that also comes with like the roster construction too. I mean, the roster is constructed to a point where um he has multiple shooters out there so he can um so he can dish out to whenever he gets like doubled or whatever. So it's not it's not it's not clogged in the paint either like it was with Al Horford. And yeah, the roster is just better, better, better constructed around him. And he's been able to take advantage of that. Um, and he is just looks he just looks more focused. He looks someone that is determined to like get every win that he can out there. And it's just refreshing to see that from him because like over the past couple of years, a lot of people have kind of doubted if like Joel Embiid's focus has all the way been there and whatnot. And like if he would ever reach this type of level. But here he is, and it's it's refreshing to see. And it's refreshing to see two big men in the MVP race as well. I mean, usually we don't get any or maybe just one. So, yeah. Definitely. And also, I mean, like, just, just kind of like going back to the MVP race, I think a lot of guys are really sleeping on a guy like Damian Lillard. I, actually, actually, oh, I want to yeah, wrap I want to rephrase that. I was sleeping on Damian Lillard because I, I, the other day I posted on my Twitter like my five MVP candidates, and I didn't have uh, Damian Lillard in there. But then I had to re- look back at the uh, at the season that he was having. He's uh, I want to say he's third in scoring behind Bradley Beal and Steph, and he's also just been getting it done without CJ McCollum as well. Like Portland's in the playoff mix as of right now, so I definitely need to like you know acknowledge the season that he's having, and just you know look at look at how he's been really really be able to play at a high level. Yeah, Dame has carried um, this Portland team with no CJ McCollum, no Yusuf Nurkic, and he's had mm-hmm. to. He's had his sidekicks have basically been Carmelo, who's not prime Carmelo anymore, and Gary Trent Jr. as his his number two and three to basically help him um, reach. A, I don't even. Let me check real quick the standings because I'm not really so sure where they are, but I know they are a team that ha- that's been on the positive. They're they're fifth seed in the in the West, eighteen and eleven. That's a pretty good record. That's a good record. Um, especially missing all those type of guys, and he's been putting up dominant performances. He's averaging on the season. He's averaging on the season 30, um, about four and a half rebounds, eight assists. Like, he's doing it all. And I believe he's shooting, like, he's shooting great percentages as well. He's scoring efficiently. I know that for sure. Um, Definitely. 40, about 45% from the field, 38.5% from three. So, I mean, he's doing his thing and they're winning. And he's out in the West too, which also kind of factors in with like competition and whatnot. So that definitely helps his case. He's definitely up there for me. I've recently entered him in my MVP conversation, but yeah. Yeah, his his names should definitely be up there. If you ask me, like my list is um, Embiid, Jokic, LeBron, Dame, and I feel like I'm missing somebody. God, I know I'm missing somebody. I just can't really put my finger on it. But yeah, I mean, I think I want to say those four, and then and then a, to, and then possibly another fifth one. See, oh, I yeah. had oh yeah, Donovan? No, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, that, that 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 that's what I meant to say, Donovan Mitchell. What's weird to me is that everyone, I, I've seen a lot of MVP ladders and like. They've included someone from Utah, but it hasn't been Donovan Mitchell. It's been Rudy Gobert, which is weird to me. That's because, yeah, that's kind of strange. I mean, I get his impact defensively and whatnot, but 
but like I don't I don't see him as like the MVP candidate on that team just because when you look at Donovan's numbers, about 25 points per game, five assists. He's always hasn't been the most efficient guy. And his his efficiency is pretty down this year as well. But he's shooting like 39% from three. So that's got to account for something. Right. And like, he's just like, I've seen games where he just like completely takes over in the end of games. Like there was a game against Boston a couple weeks ago where he, mm-hmm. he just went crazy in the fourth and put the game out of reach after Boston kind of made it close. So those type of moments, they kind of matter when you're like picking like an MVP, I think. Yeah, definitely. I personally, like, I don't, I don't think there's ever not been like an MVP level who did not play at a high level offensively. And like, you know, they, I mean, they, there, there may have been one that probably was like a liability defensively, but I think offensively it should definitely go, to like someone who's like playing well at a um at a high level like you know so for Rudy Gobert to actually be in that conversation which is like kind of insane to me I mean don't get me wrong he is playing well especially defensively I think he's definitely uh another like I think he definitely deserves another defensive player of your candidacy but MVP I I kind of got to scratch that yeah I'm not on to that so um all star starters we just announced. Um, both both sides. We have um, Steph, Luca, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic in the West. Um, I know most people were kind of um, upset. They thought Dame should have gotten over Luca. I I gotta agree with the people there. Um, but I believe Dame will still get in regardless. And Luca kind of said himself he felt like Dame was more deserving of the starter spot than he was. So there's that. And then on the East side, we got. Um, Kyrie, KD, Beal, Giannis, and Embiid. So who do you think makes um, the reserves on both sides? As far as for the West, I know for a fact Dame, definitely. And I didn't I didn't me personally, just from my perspective, I didn't really understand like why people were kind of upset that Dame didn't get in the um starting position. It, it was like it was like I kind of understood, but at the end of the day, like, you know. Damian Lillard should be an all-star whether he starts or not. And just because he's not starting in the game does not mean that doesn't mean that he's not going to be in there like late in the fourth quarter. But that but that's just my opinion. That's why I wasn't really too mad about it. Yeah. But if I had the shoes, I have Dame. Um, I definitely think, you know, a lot of guys will probably hate me for this, but I think Paul George should definitely be in there. Yeah, for sure. Um who else could you say? I, w- I wish Christian Wood was, but obviously he's hurt. So that's that's unfortunate for him. Um, Devin Booker, Devin Booker should definitely be in there. Um, God, I'm trying to think. Donovan Mitchell, of course. Uh, trying to think, trying to think, trying to go through the West. Hmm. You know, it's tough because I mean, a lot of these young guys like. Ja may not get in. Zion like Fox may not get in. Zion, will Zion, get Zion in. possibly. Yeah, Zion should get in. I mean, he, he's he's playing phenomenal. Shooting like around sixty percent from the field, so yeah, he should definitely get in. Um. So yeah, Zion's definitely up there. And for the East, obviously, uh, obviously James Harden. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess I'll say Ben Simmons just because the popularity vote will possibly get him in. So, well, it's the coaches I that vote the reserves in, so. Oh, is it? Okay, never mind. Yeah. I don't know then. So, James Harden would definitely be in there. Um, I think Sabonis should definitely be in there. Trey Young. Um, Julius Randle definitely can't forget about Julius Randle. I think he. I think he's deserving of this of this All Star spot. Uh. God, man, it's tough. Yeah, the East to me is actually harder than the West because in the East, you could go Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris. You could say they're deserving. You could say maybe Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton on the Bucks. You could say possibly, um, you of course James Harden, Indiana. You could have you could have Sabonis. You could have um, plus you could have you could have a Malcolm Brogdon if you want. Oh yeah, Malcolm Brogdon definitely. Boston, you could have Jason Tatum and oh, yeah. Jalen Brown. 
Toronto, you could make the case for either Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. They've both been killing it this year. Charlotte, you can make the case for Hayward. Knicks, you can make the case for Randall. I'm definitely advocating for him. Zach Levine yeah. on the Bulls. Miami, you got Jimmy and Bam. Like, it's deep in the East. It, like, it is definitely deep. I can't believe I forgot about Tatum and Brown. Like, I don't know what's wrong. With me. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, they, them two should definitely be in it, particularly Jalen Brown, who I believe did get snubbed last year, especially with the year that he had last year. And it seemed like he's really elevated his play throughout this year. So he should definitely get that um, that niche as far as getting into a um, into a roster spot. But it's, it's crazy because, I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys that don't make it and we're just going to have to accept it. Like, even though a lot of these guys are playing at, a, at an exceptional level, you know, there's only so many players that can get in. And yep. if so, I mean, if your numbers are not as great as another guys or your team is not as good, then, you know, you're kind of you you may just get overlooked as far as an all star um, all star player. Yeah, that's why I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for expanding the all star rosters. I don't see why they can't at least expand it to maybe even 14, if not 15, because right. like, how are they only 12 spots on a roster when like an all star roster when there's usually at least 14 active on a regular NBA roster. And I feel like if you expand it to at least 14 or even at 15, you're guaranteeing three more spots on each side. And there won't be as many snubs each year. I feel like every year the snubs grow more and more and more because there's that much more players getting better and that much more players that are deserving. And I think there's like some type of incentive on these guys' contracts. So when some of these guys get snubbed and they've had like career years and whatnot, it kind of sucks for them because they don't get paid as much as they were anticipating they would get paid. Right. Yeah, yeah that that definitely is a big factor. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, though. It's like I, I do agree with you. I do think that they should expand. But I think it's also kind of difficult when you – um when you're the coach as well. So it's like, you know, when you have 14 guys, it's like, how do you, how do you like balance the minutes of these guys? Like, you know, how do you figure out like who needs to play, who doesn't, who doesn't need to be in? So I definitely understand why they do 12, but, but yeah, I mean, if they can possibly get 14 and make it work, then, then yeah. Cause I mean, cause there, there's a lot of guys that are possibly not going to make it, but they are very deserving of an all-star spot. Yeah. That's what, that's one of the things I don't like about um, how the NBA does things. Um, Speaking of all-star um, game, how do you feel about the fact that they are doing an all-star game? <laughs> when I, well, I'm not gonna lie, like when I, when I first heard that they were actually going to do it, I was kind of like surprised, like not because they're actually doing it. Cause I mean, with, with the fact that we're even having a regular season in the pandemic, you know, just with so many games in, I, I did expect this for them to at least have an all-star game, but to be, to be in the city of Atlanta where, you know, there's not really a pandemic out there, you know, it's like the COVID cases are just going crazy. And then I don't, I don't know if there's like a restriction on the players that are actually going to be there. Like, can they not hang out or whatever? So if they're able to like move freely throughout the weekend, then I think that is, that it's going to be a huge problem. Cause obviously the, um, the safety is very important for, uh, for these players, at least going through the, going throughout the season. So it's definitely like, you know, a priority for the NBA to at least like have a successful all-star game and to keep these guys safe. But as far as the game itself, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly happy that they are having one. I think a lot of these guys are deserving, are deserving of it, even though like guys like LeBron and Kawhi did speak out against it. But as, at least from a fan's perspective, like that's, that's kind of like the, um, the highlight of the season is to have an all-star game and to see all the, the top players come together and play a competitive game. Cause last year, last year's all-star game to me may it may be the best or at least up there as far as the best, just because of how competitive it was in that fourth quarter. So for us to be able to anticipate that again, as a fan and as a, um, and as a player or, and as a person that really covers the game, I think is very exciting. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'm not a fan of it, especially since they're doing it in Atlanta because of what, what you said, like COVID right. basically doesn't exist over there. Um, they don't follow no regulations. I already seen the flyers of all the all-star parties that are being planned for that weekend by a whole bunch of celebrities. And you know, these NBA players that want to go there. So I don't know how they regulate that. And then what's going to suck is that if guys get Rona and then like you, your team is missing one of your best players for like two weeks because 
they did this in Atlanta and then who knows if it spreads to other players. It's like so many things like that could just be avoided if they were going to do it. And if they did it in like some obscure city where it wasn't like so hot like this, people probably wouldn't mind as much. But the fact that it's in Atlanta, it kind of rubs people the wrong way because of like the reputation of Atlanta during this whole thing. Right. I know, I know that Indiana was supposed to have it this year, but I think, I think they kind of like shut that down, especially since the um, coronavirus has started. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you, man. Like, I think Atlanta of all cities just should not be it. I, w- I wouldn't even be mad if they did it somewhere in Cali with like at least some regulations, like either LA or even Oakland or um, San Francisco or whatever, you, or whatever may have. But I think in Atlanta, you know, when there's no regulations and like you said, I mean, there's going to be like several parties going on in the city and you know, a lot of these players prob- may possibly be there if there are no restrictions. So if the All-Star, okay, so whenever the season does start back up after the All-Star game and there are positive cases and they are and they do tend to be like a lot of the team's best players, it is going to definitely take a big hit. And the NBA may have to, I don't know about pause the season or like, you know, but definitely have to like make some rearranges as far as finishing off the season and going into the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, I... I generally do enjoy the all-star events and uh, I did enjoy the game last year. So I do kind of understand where some people would be like, okay, but I think most fans, most fans don't even want it this year. We kind of all know what the NBA is doing it for. Of course, monetary reasons. Adam Silver had the nerve to say we're doing this for the fans, but we all know what he's really doing it for. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm probably gonna end up watching it anyway, so right. it's, it's whatever at this point. I just, I just hope for the best, and I hope everybody comes out of this safe, and there's no positive cases, and everything goes according to plan if they're gonna do this. So, and also, like, how do you, how do you feel like about like all like the activities that are going on like throughout the, um, th- like throughout the halftime? Like, I think they're having like a dunk contest. They're halftime. I want to say they're having a skills challenge. Like, how do you feel about that? It's kind of weird because you're cramming everything into one night, but I understand why they're cramming everything into one night because they're like, oh, they don't want to spread it across different days and maximize the, the, the potential of risk. So I do understand why they're cramming it into the halftime. It's going to be interesting to see if players that are in those events are going to be in the actual game. Cause I could imagine they'll be exhausted at that point. Cause it's like. Right. So the question is now is like, you know, how long is halftime going to be now? Cause the average halftime is around like 15 minutes. So are they going to extend it? So they like have to. Yeah. Like 30, 45 minute halftime because I mean, there's no way that you're going to be able to cram all that. Like one like small halftime. Yeah, because I think the dunk contest is halftime and then the three point contest is before the game. So there is that. But it's going to be interesting to to see. Um one last thing before we kind of wrap things up is let's talk about teams that should probably sell at the deadline because the season has gone – the season has been very weird. It's similar to a lockout year. There's a lot of back-to-back games. There's a lot of games in, like, a short period of time. Teams have been dealing with injuries, with COVID protocols, with COVID itself. Some teams have just not been able to figure it out. So right. the, a lot of teams have, like, started off the season very rough, and they may be – backed into a situation where they're like, you know what, let's just retool, reset. We already see Houston. They said they want to go a a bit younger and smaller with their front court. So they are about to release Boogie Cousins. He's going to be a free agent. Um, They they do want to trade. I know PJ Tucker and possibly Oladipo at the deadline. So it's going to be interesting what they do with those two guys. Um, so like, I'm thinking, what are some other teams that you can see selling at the trade deadline potentially? Well, the number one team for me is definitely the Boston Celtics. I think, I think that should be one that's definitely, that should definitely make a move. And 
I honestly said it like before the season because I I had a guy that asked me like how did how did I feel about Boston going into this year and I was saying like you know Boston's good you know they got Jason Tatum they got Jalen Brown they got Kemba Walker even though Kemba didn't miss a good portion of the first part of the season with the injury but I just felt like Boston didn't do enough as far as like you know contending with a team like Brooklyn or a Milwaukee or even like I I know everybody expected Toronto to be good this year even though they they've been struggling themselves so I think I think Boston is still a good team but. I just think that they didn't get over that hump to become even better than what they were the past few years. Now, I did not expect them to be this horrible, but also, I mean, you got to look at it. Jason Tatum was out for a few weeks due to um, protocols. I want to say Jalen Brown missed a good, uh, missed a few games. Kemba, like I said, Kemba obviously missed a good first portion of the season. So the Celtics have definitely been riddled by different circumstances, but also, I think also, I mean, while they're on the floor together, they just look awful. I mean, it obviously shows with today's matchup against New Orleans, they had like a 24-point lead, and then they blew it, um, ended up having to go to overtime, and they ended up um, they ended up losing that game. So I think, and, and, and even Denny Age has even came out and said that, you know, the roster that they have is not the best, personally. And, 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 and I know a lot of guys were kind of like, you know, stretching their heads when they signed the old, um, an elder Jeff Teague, I did. I did personally like the move that they got with uh, Tristan Thompson, but like I said, I mean, it's not enough to get them over the hump. So, if I had to say one team that does need to make a um, a move in the offseason, it definitely has to be Boston, and another team possibly, possibly Toronto if they want to get better and if they want to go younger. Would they would they ship a thirty four, thirty five year old Kyle Lowry? Uh, for a younger asset. So, the, I mean, so the, those are obviously questions that are on the table as soon as a trade deadline comes around. Interesting that you run up Boston because I would assume that Boston would be a team that tries to get better at the deadline, but you saying they should be sellers. That's actually quite interesting because they've been a basically 500 team this year and they haven't shown anything to me that they wouldn't be a first, second round exit, maybe like, Right. They haven't looked impressive. Danny Ainge didn't Dan, Danny Ainge didn't really improve the roster um that much. Brad Stevens hasn't been that well coaching this year. Like like you you brought up the game today as we're recording on um Sunday. You brought up the game today where um they lost to the Pelicans, they lost the lead and during the whole comeback I was just watching Brad Stevens. He didn't call a timeout. Like he was just sitting there letting the the Pelicans run their zone or whatever and take the Celtics out of their rhythm. And it worked Mm -hmm. and they won. And it was just weird. And I'm like, Brad Stevens has been like really mediocre this year in coaching, which is um, not his norm, but I guess this year is not his norm. And this roster is not best equipped to, I guess, his needs, but I don't know. Do you, do you possibly see him like possibly leaving or like getting fired like within like, the next year or so? Like let, let's say it's like if Boston does not get past the first second round. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say no because like it's so unpredictable in the league. But it is an interesting thing to think about. I saw a Celtics fan on Twitter today. They said that they don't think that the Celtics would fire stevens because like i guess stevens and ainge they're like tight or whatever or whatnot i don't know but yeah i i I personally don't see it happening but i would not be surprised right i mean brad Brad stevens could coach i mean let's let's like let's get it clear i mean brad stevens has like really transcended this boston franchise especially like after the big three era where they had doc rivers and then they had um pierce garnett and ray allen and those guys so for him to like really step in into like a young organization and really like put them in the position that they have where they've gotten to the um, Eastern Conference Finals like for a good amount of years is is really impressive. But now it's like you know if you're Danny Age and you know you have Jason Tatum who's going to continue to get older, Jalen Brown who's going to continue to get older. These guys are going to continue to get better. So now, so now the question is how do you construct a roster around these guys? to make them even more better and put them and elevate their team to play at an even higher level. I mean, kind of like we said with Milwaukee. So that that's going to be the, um, that's going to be the test for Ainge, especially like within like these next few years. So, I mean, if Boston doesn't make a few moves within like the next few years, like to really elevate themselves to like a um, contending team, then I don't know what to say. 
Yeah. Um, Danny Ainge hasn't done the, he hasn't done the best with their assets, I would say. Um, a team for me that I think should sell is Miami, aka the Bubble Boys. They have been the most scrutinized team for their for their bubble success, I guess you can say. Because like everyone sees how they came back this season and they haven't necessarily been the same way. I mean, you could attribute that to them not be having enough time to gel together due to COVID and protocols and injuries in general. But yeah, this season has a little good for Miami. And I've seen a couple, I've seen a bunch of Miami people. I know they're pissed that they didn't jump on the t- trading Tyler Hero for a Harden package, possibly. Some people say that package wasn't even a possibility. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they should sell. You obviously keep a Jimmy and a Bam, possibly a hero. And then you just like, you just move the vets. They got to pay Duncan Robinson this offseason. I don't think they want to pay him as much as he wants to get paid. So I guess you trade him. You trade a Goran Dragic and then you trade whatever vets you else, what else you can to get like seconds or whatnot. So how do you feel about Miami being a potential seller? I, I definitely agree with I definitely agree with you. Um and, and it sucks because I, I really like this Miami team and you know everybody just calling them a fluke because of like the run that they had in the bubble and them coming out into this season not on uh, not playing at that same level that they did. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see like what they really do, you know, going into the rest of this year. Now Jimmy Butler has said that they will make the playoffs. Jimmy Butler has said that they're gonna uh, become even better. So that's gonna be also, so the eyes will also be on them to see like what they, as far as what they do. But it's crazy. Like Tyler Hero hasn't like I'm not gonna say he hasn't played bad, but he hasn't played at that same level that he did like as far as last year. Um, Bam and Abayo has continued to like you know really be like that that one glue guy for the team that's really been playing at a high level. Now they, now they did miss Jimmy Butler for a significant amount of time due to protocols and they miss a whole lot of guys as well. So it's going to be interesting to see like, you know, what they do as far as like, you know, throughout the rest of the season, as far as getting to the playoffs, because you know, you know, you have everybody calling them a fluke. So now they're going to have to have a lot of answers to, uh, or a lot of questions to answer going forward. Um, couple other teams i want to get into that should probably sell um the orlando magic every year every yeah every year they're like a perennial a perennial seven or eight seed um this year they've been hit with the injury bug like crazy yeah jonathan isaac he went down in the bubble he's out for the year you got markel fultz he got he tore his ACL. He's out. You got Cole Anthony. He b- broke his. He fractured his rib. He's out. Um, Aaron Gordon had a severe sprained ankle. He's been out. It's just so at a certain point, you just got to look at the signs and what they're telling you. And it's time to like let go of guys like Ross and Vucevic and Fournier, and just let that era go and just finally embrace the rebuild because like they've been trying to do this like rebuild on the fly while competing and for them it just hasn't worked so how do you feel about orlando i definitely agree with you orlando's just kind of been that team where like i mean and and they did make the playoffs over the last two years but i think everybody everybody pretty much knew that that they weren't really going to make a huge run so i definitely agree with you um is such a talented player and I feel like he should want to be moved to like a better, um, a better orchestrated team to at least like help him continue to build and continue to like, you know, lead a team to playoff contention. So I definitely think that they should like, you know, move him. And like you said, Terrence Ross, I think that he should be moved. So yeah, Orlando's really been trying to like find that niche since the whole Dwight Howard trade. Like they're trying to figure out like, you know, where do they go and how do they like continue to build? So and, and I mean, like you said, with Markel Fultz out, with uh, Jonathan Isaac out, who is who all, who was really emerging as a um, as a um, as a prospect, as a developing young young player, it really does hurt the team. So I definitely think that that Orlando should just go ahead and just really just just kind of like start fresh, you know, get bring in some new guys, bring in some younger talent, and just kind of go from there. 
Yeah, and guys like Terrence Ross, Fournier, Vucevic, like those guys can get you a good amount of like draft capital plus young players that other teams aren't necessarily using. I mean, one example of a team kind of doing that was the Detroit Pistons earlier this year with the Derrick Rose trade. They saw Derrick Rose came to them and he was like, you know what? I want to have a better chance to compete for the playoffs. And surprisingly, he chose the Knicks. Well, not surprisingly, if you've been watching them this year, but he chose the Knicks and the Knicks had a young player to give up and a second round pick. And it worked out. The Pistons got Dennis Smith Jr. They're able to try him out on his last year of his contract and see if they want to move forward with him as part of their future. And they also get a second round pick out of um, Derrick Rose. So, I mean, trades like that, I feel like teams like like an Orlando Magic should do. And that trade has worked out for both sides of the Knicks and the Pistons. Derrick Rose has revitalized the second unit for the Knicks. And um, you have the the Pistons, like I said, they're able to give their, um, Dennis Smith Jr. a tryout year. So moves like that can really help teams just, like, move on from players that are necessarily too good for them at this moment. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. Um and la- very last thing before we wrap up, how, how do you feel about the whole um Blake Griffin Drummond? Do you think they get moved and like just their whole situation? I definitely believe that Drummond will get moved. I think I think you've got to choose like between either one of those two, like who gets moved first. I do think it's Drummond. Like Drummond, I think Drummond can really be like a great defensive anchor and a great enforcer for a contending team. Like you know, I think even. Honestly, like guys like teams like the Lakers will pick pick him up, even though I doubt that happened. But they do they really need size, especially with Anthony Davis out. I think they could grab him. And like, you know, I think there's a lot of teams that are missing a guy like Drummond who can rebound and who can really protect the paint. So I definitely think that I definitely think that he'll he will be moved soon. If not before the All-Star break, definitely during trade deadline. And uh, we'll see where it goes. And as far as Blake Griffin, I know I made a joke saying that, you know, what if the Lakers did pick him up just because of Anthony Davis out? But I, I must say, man, I mean, Blake Griffin does not look the same as he once was. Yeah. Even, he it, is it's, he's he's cooked, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 insane, man. Like, so I, I don't know what it is with him. I don't know who will take a chance on him, but especially like especially with his contract and everything. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of looking kind of slim for Blake, but I think Drummond could definitely be used on a contending team. Yeah, Blake, like I said, he's cooked. The contract is just not worth it. It's a very unique situation. I think it's a situation that teams have seen in the past, but not like to this magnitude of a contract. And like, we 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 shit on the Clippers for making that deal, and uh, of course it was it was kind of messed up the way they did it with like the whole like we're gonna retire your jersey, and then like a few months in they're like, hey, get out of here, go to Detroit. But like right. they were smart to move on from that because in the long run that gave them the flexibility to be able to acquire a Kawhi and a Paul George. So Kawhi and Paul George don't happen if Blake Griffin never gets traded. And it's sad to see Blake get reduced to this. I mean, when he when he tried to play in that series against the Bucks, I was like, I was one of those people like, why did you even try to play in this series? You guys had no chance of winning any of the games, like whether yeah, you played definitely. or not. So like, yeah, it was like, why why hurt yourself even further for nothing, basically? So that was weird to me, but. Yeah, I definitely think Drummond gets moved before either one. And even if Drummond doesn't get moved, I, I, I feel like even a buyout with him would happen first before anything with Blake. Because just just because just based on the contract size and length, Drummond's an expiring, so they can buy him out and be off his money in the offseason. So it's nothing for Cleveland. Yeah, definitely. And with like Blake, yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for him, but like, I do, I honestly don't know what team he necessarily helps unless he's bought out. Because trading for him at this point, you're gonna have to expend assets, and it's not worth it. it yeah, definitely, especially like with his contract, you're gonna have to give up a lot of like valuable players just to get him. And 
in all honesty, it's just not worth it, especially at this point in his career. Yeah. So um that's it for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Um Nick Andre, you want to tell the people where they can find you? Yeah, definitely. Follow me on Twitter at Nick Andre ATR. As you guys know, I'm a writer, podcaster. You know, I cover pretty much all things basketball from high school to NBA. So yeah, if you follow, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to see all of my content there. You know, I'm, I'm very active on um, NBA Twitter. So yeah, just, uh, follow me there. All right, and make sure if you are listening on YouTube to subscribe. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, make sure you hit the follow slash subscribe button and make sure you also leave us a review or a rating. It helps us a lot. And that's it.